Well, it's that time of year. Flowers are all in bloom. Temperatures are warming up. So it's time to talk about Christmas. (laughs) There's a great value to a liturgical calendar that walks us through the year. But the gift of Christmas and the gift of Easter is year-round. We never need, we need rather, to never forget the blessing of Advent and the blessing of Easter. We don't need to wait months for our comfort and our consolation as the year rolls around because our consolation is in Jesus. Look at this little mentioned story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He comes out of nowhere, Simeon. All we know about him is that God calls him righteous and devout, and perhaps that's all we need to know. Wouldn't you like for God to call you that? And so here he comes. We know he's old. We know he's taken a long time for this day to come. And yet he stayed righteous and devout. And it's a very difficult time to be righteous and devout. There was only a faithful remnant in history, if we understand correctly. Following God has never been a majority proposition. It has always been difficult. But this was a particularly tough time. A lot of the leadership had really turned religion more into a secular thing. Some of them used it for power plays, just like they do today. Some of them used it for politics more than for righteousness. A lot of them rushed more to the Roman and Greek culture than they did to the law of Moses. And then those that said, no, we're sticking with the law of Moses, found a way to suck all the joy and life out of it and turn it into a legalistic burden that nobody could bear. So step into that story now. Simeon's been waiting a long time, a long time for the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would be a consolation, a salvation of his people. He wasn't looking for a short-term hero like an elected official or in that day and age, an appointed official. He wasn't looking for a short-term hero like the Maccabees who, for all the good they did, it was all local, short-term results. Simeon's looking for somebody who will bring salvation to all people, including Gentiles. But for some reason, today is special. The Spirit tells Simeon to go to the temple. Like our sister Rachel brings up, when the Spirit talks to you, it'd be nice to listen. So Simeon goes, is this the day? How long has he been waiting? How many times had he gone? But he goes because he was told to go. And he sees among those bringing in their sons to be circumcised, Joseph and Mary. Think about Joseph and Mary for a moment. Here they are just over a week after Jesus' birth. Their heads still have to be spinning. 
This has been an unusual birth. In every way that you could call it unusual, it's been unusual. And finally, they get to tradition, the way things are. We're going to go get him circumcised. They go to the temple. They're in the line with all the others doing the same thing. And here comes an old prophet right at him, pointed right at that baby. Evidently, the strangeness is not about to end for Joseph and Mary. And he grabs the baby, and he begins smiling, rejoicing, perhaps shuddering, singing. He says right in front of everybody, God, I'm ready to die now because I've seen this baby. You know, Joseph and Mary are just looking at each other at this stage. I'm ready to die. I'm at peace. Why? My eyes have seen your salvation. I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus is the salvation of the world, not our works, not our perfection, not our perfect doctrinal understanding. While our works are important, and our faith and our, the way we act out that faith is important, we are not saved by that. We do not do what we do to make ourselves Christian. Because we are Christian, we do what we do. Jesus is the salvation of the world. And that's why here at Fourth Avenue, you may have noticed, we're always focusing on Jesus. We're always obeying God at the transfiguration, saying, listen to him. So we look at the names of Jesus. We tell the stories of Jesus. We talk about Jesus. Why? Because frankly, you can get a whole lot wrong, but you'd better get Jesus right. At this point in the story, we can join Simeon in his joy, but that joy often gets lost. Kind of like the thrill of Easter, when it drags on into May and June, can be forgotten. Then we wonder what to look forward to. We have to wait till July when the stores put up their Christmas displays to remember the calendar again. <coughs> Sometimes I think it's because we've confused Jesus' role. We think of him as a comforter, so he is, through the Holy Spirit, but there's a big difference between being a comforter and a consolation. The only time I ever heard a consolation, that word, growing up, was when somebody didn't win, and they got a consolation prize. You know, this person won all expenses paid trip to Japan, here's some gum. You know, uh, <coughs> or even worse, in American game shows, it was here's the at-home edition of our game so that you can play this and remember how you lost every day in the privacy of your own home. And that's not what consolation means. But before I get there, may I be blunt. Jesus is not our towel boy. He's not there to make sure we have a good day. He's not there to make sure that every need and whim is satisfied. Even when it's not just a whim, but it's a driving force in our life. He's not there to make that happen. He is there to save us. And that's different than always serving us the way we want to be served. In fact, Simeon talks about some will rise and some will fall. Some will become enemies of Christ and righteousness. Well, that doesn't sound very comfortable. 
It isn't. But you see, Christ's coming will reveal some hearts that have been hidden. Some people have said, we serve God, we've served God. Well, we'll see. How do you deal with Jesus? Do you listen to Jesus? Well, we're very important people. Are you? How do you deal with Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus? All of these hearts are going to be revealed when Jesus shows up. A sword, we're told, will pierce Mary because Jesus shows up. Jesus says, in fact, his appearing will cause some families to split and tear and division to occur. Doesn't sound uncomfortable. Well, it doesn't sound comfortable, but Simeon says, I can be dismissed in peace. Why? Because it's going to be okay. It's going, this is a phrase that I repeat to myself often. It's going to be okay, regardless of what happens next. We often think, well, when this happens, it'll be okay. We need to get past that. It's going to be okay, regardless of what happens next. In my life, I have seen many very important people that when they got sick, everybody started going, no, we can't lose them. What would we do without them? And they did die, some of them, and we, it was okay. We hurt, we mourned, we had a loss, we had a hole, we had to fill that hole, yes. But it was still okay. Jesus continued to carry us forward. We have a problem with that. We have a problem being consoled or keeping our joy for very long because at nature, we're very self-centered. Think of that. Did you have to teach your children how to be selfish? Did you? Did you say, son, son, you're sharing again. We've talked about this. No. Your babies don't cry out in the middle of the night. If it's all the same with you, and if you happen to be awake, I could use some food. No. The center of all sin is self-centeredness. The desire for our need to trump whatever else is around us. But comfort is different than consolation. God is offering us a consolation, and that means a long-range joy. A joy that is not immediate or constant, but it is certain. Because our faith is in a person and the future they provide. Our faith is not in a system. It's not in an outcome. It's in a person. Jesus refers to this in one of my favorite passages. It's in the book of Luke, but he's quoting from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the year of vengeance for our God, of our God, to comfort all who mourn. I like that, the vengeance to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Don't you love that last bet? They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, before you run out and start needlepointing that, 
to put that on the wall, you need to remember the rest of it and then to realize what an oak does. An oak grows slowly. If you need a windbreak in the back of your property, you don't go out and plant oaks because your great-grandchildren will enjoy them or they'll just cut them down and wonder, what are these in the way for? The view. It's blocking the view. It grows slowly and with difficulty. Oaks don't pop up like a maple does or a poplar does, but it grows up strong, and it will be the last tree to get knocked down. God's going to grow us, but it's going to be at his pace, his way, and we'll be strong. When I talk about Jesus being our consolation, if you will allow me, with our history, my family history, to use a military example, and I'll make it an American one, so there you are, you know, my prezi to you today, present, it's a prezi, learn the word, English is a lovely language. (laughs) In World War II, when soldiers looked up and they saw General Eisenhower, or even better, Omar Bradley, they were encouraged. They knew who was in charge, and they knew he cared for them. Not all generals did, but they knew, especially Omar Bradley, he was was the, the soldier's general. When they saw him, they knew he cares about us. Now, did that mean that they were comfortable? No, not hardly but they were consoled. Think of the letters they wrote in the American, I always never know what to call it on this side of the line, the War of Northern Aggression, the Civil War, the unfortunate, whatever it was, the bit of difficulty, shall we say. Think Think of the letters they wrote home. We were in Scotland when Ken Burns did his Civil War thing, and so we, we watched it over there. Um, and I, I, I remember being constantly blown away by the letters written home by 16, 17, and 18-year-olds before the battle. Were those letters of comfort? Not really. But they were letters of consolation that lasted a long time and became prizes of the family, things they continued to go to. My son would sleep under a big shadow box, I think they call it, with some things my wife's grandfather sent home from the Pacific War. But what was a real treasure there was the letter he sent home to his wife. Need to hasten to say, he came home safely, but that letter continued to be a letter of consolation. Jesus is our letter of consolation, We won't always be comfortable, but we'll be okay. Hebrews chapter 6. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to the whole argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, unchanging nature, very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which It is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm 
and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we were in a little concrete block building, one of the ugliest buildings that has ever been made by human beings. And it was the church building in a slum outside of Glasgow, Scotland, called Castlemilk, one of the roughest places in Europe. And that's where we'd gone to work for a year or so. As we were there, some Americans came across as well. And just as Mark's doing tonight, 5.30, please be here. The last one was a hoot. It was a lot of fun. Um, we were having a singing. But the way it was being done was we were all sitting around in a circle because we gathered all the Christians in the area and they would fit in a small room in a circle to uh, teach each other songs. And one of the Americans was, was there and he pulled up and he goes, do you know um, the anchor for the soul? You know, there's an anchor for my soul. And we said, yes. And he started singing at really fast pace like Americans do and immediately pulled back because all of the British people were singing it slowly. Will your anchor hold in the storm of life? And he just, he stopped. And he looked over at me because I've got a foot in both camps. And I leaned over and I said, you're on an island. The people here know anchors. They know storms. This isn't a happy song about something over there. This is singing in a community that has lost people to storms at sea. It's sung majestically, slowly, and solemnly here. And he really, it, it touched his heart. We are in a storm. And yet, like Melchizedek, God's come out of nowhere and given us reason to hope that it's going to be okay no matter what happens next. Remember when you had to tell your kids that? You remember, my wife called me. I was in my office. She said, um, I, th I, I need to come down, bring Duncan to you. I don't know how Duncan was, maybe five, six years old, same time. And they said, um, to see if he needs stitches. I could hear him in the background, I don't need stitches, you know that. Because they're medical ex experts at that age. So he brought in, he'd done what everybody does. You have to. If you ride a bike, you have to hit it right there. He'd had a wreck and hit it there and split it open. He came in. Of course, he had the, the tea towel hold there, and they pulled it away. And I went, oh, you know, yeah, I can, I can see daylight. Yeah, you need statues there. He's going, no, I don't need them. I'm going, no, son, it will be all right. Now, is that the same thing as saying, this won't hurt? What happens next will be immensely pleasant. No. So he went to the emergency room. After a while, they got to know Duncan. Um, he had his own place, his own mug, everything, you know. Um, it's like walking into Cheers, Duncan, you know, that sort of, so we, but he was still new at this stage. Walked in, and the PA was there, and he said, yeah, we're going to have to stitch that up, and Duncan's laying down, and he goes, well, it hurt, and the PA goes, well, no, no, not at all, and he pulls out the needle, and he goes, now, this one, you know, and my son looked at me, and he says, well, it hurt, and I went, yeah. The PA looked at me like he was going to hit me, but, you know, and I might hit him back. So he, he, he didn't. And I leaned over to my son and I said, this will hurt a bit. But I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'd like, I'll put my hand over your eyes so you don't have to watch it. And I won't leave you. And he just nodded. 
He went through it without a whimper because he knew it's going to be okay regardless of what happens next. That's consolation. That's what Jesus offers us, saying, don't believe your eyes. Don't believe the news. Don't believe your feelings. It's going to be okay. That's why Simeon said, I can die. Because I know it's going to be okay for my people. God does more than just comfort us. He's, he's actually making things better. He moves through history, and including your history. If you're like me, you don't see his tracks very often unless you look in the rearview mirror, and then you see him. But he's still there. Fact is, we're not really equipped to pick up his signal. At any time that we hear the Spirit, that's really a blessing because our ears aren't tuned to that frequency as a rule. We're limited. But we do know we can trust him. Look at John chapter 10, please. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Think of this. When was the last time you heard a sermon on this? We often hear sermons on how you might lose your salvation. We're always terrified about that. I, can still, I grew up in a church where this happened every now and then. Somebody up at the Lord's table would get a bit confused, tension deficit or whatever, and would launch out with the cup before the bread. That was unacceptable where we were. And they would just stand there, and, and people behind, and, 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 but you couldn't talk either. And it was just, finally somebody would lean over and go, you got to do the bread first. And I wanted to lean over and said, Luke didn't understand that evidently, but I didn't, because Luke does cup, bread, cup. Um, he didn't read the others evidently. Or it doesn't matter. The point I'm trying to make is, we were terrified of losing our salvation over little things. God says, I got you. I got you. You ever, had to, you ever had to talk your kids into jumping into water? And they're going, no, I don't know. And you're going, I got you. And they look at you like, eh. <laughs> Maybe. But I do remember the argument over peas last night. Go ahead and jump. God's got you. John 14. I love John 14. Some of the best chapters ever in the book of John. I loved the book of John. And then center the beauty. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Stop right there. <laughs> this isn't like your mother saying, well, I'll talk to your dad and we'll see. No, this is a promise. This is going to happen. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Their, their ears aren't tuned to this because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you, we'll see. Let's move to the next one, guys. You want to sleep? There you go. No, I'm, it's all right. They're, they're down at the festival. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. That's that here and there thing, isn't it, Rachel? Because I live, you also will live. It's going to be okay. 
on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Oh, that's where we always got them. Oh, you have to keep all the commands. Well, hang on. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What is the command that he keeps bringing up? It's not the minutia. It is love God, love each other. That's it. Now, how? You might say, well, that's too simple. Really? You tried it? You should have tried it in the parking lot this morning, and people walk right by going, ah, it doesn't matter. Really? I'll step back over here then in case you burst into flames. No. <laughs> no. I say that inside. Outside, we have to remember, oh, love can be hard sometimes. But that's what we're all about. Our consolation is not based upon things working out our way. It's not based on things coming our way, but on whom is coming our way. That baby Simeon lifted up is our consolation. That baby would bring many down, lift some up, break some, heal some. There'd be a backlash against believers because of that baby. But there would also be a movement of the Spirit which has not stopped in thousands of years. He is the light of God. He is the consolation of Israel. He is real and not a creature of our imagination. Therefore, we react to him. Because he's real, we have to react. We get to choose our reaction, whether we run from him or we run to him. I love what John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Simeon basically said the same. He said, he is here, I can leave. I don't need anything more. You can have that reaction, or you can have the reaction of me, me, always me, but I'd recommend against that. For Christ will either be your destruction or your consolation, it's your choice. He will offer you his hand. In fact, he is. But it's up to you whether or not you take it. I advise that you take it. Mark, if you'll bring your team up. Remember that we have classes as usual today. May as well stay. We're going to focus on Jesus. And also, remember the compassion tables. Remember Franktown. Remember to love one another. It's very important that when we leave this place, we leave it as temples of God, as light in the world. Would you stand, please? From an old Celtic prayer dating back to about the year 950. May the light of God shine on you without and within. May light and love of God be all the warmth you need. May you be so warm that strangers come and warm themselves by the light of God they see in you. May your consolation be in Christ. May you be a light in a storm, a candle in the darkness that is never extinguished. May the rain of the Spirit of God cleanse and refresh you. May there be consolation in your heart, righteousness in your walk, beauty in your character harmony in your home, and may peace follow you 
wherever you go. And the church says, 